0: I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. In my recovery circles, we have a phrase called white knuckling. White knuckling means when we are being bombarded with temptation or the desire to use drugs or alcohol or really anything. It applies to anything in life. And having a desire to want to not commit a behavior, to not sin against God, white knuckling refers to the idea of holding on as tight as we can, all the blood being blanched out of your knuckles as you seek in your own power to not do the thing that you're trying so hard to do. To do Doesn't that sound like some of the Christian life sometimes? That we know what it is God wants from us. We know what we should or should not be doing because we get the consequences from it. But instead of weathering the temptation well and trusting God and his power in us, we end up holding on tighter and tighter. Well, I have news for you. Your grip is not tighter than your temptation. Ultimately, when you are living a life of white-knuckling, you inevitably will let go we cannot hold on forever but god has a way today we're talking about a season or a wilderness of temptation we're in a series on wilderness experiences uh, last week we talked about moses's wilderness experience and what he found in the the back the far side of the desert about who god is what god's plan for him was and how he was supposed to go forward but this day we're going to talk about another type of wilderness A wilderness of temptation, those seasons where we're just being bombarded with ideas and thoughts and impulses to do the very thing that God calls us to do or not to do. Maybe you're in one of those seasons now. Honestly, I feel like I'm in the desert most of the time. When I say wilderness of temptation, I'm not just speaking about the big sins. It's easy for me to get up there and talk about this, and immediately our mind goes to sexual temptation because it's so powerful. But I want you, as you sit here today, if that might be what's going on with you, that's fine. But for others, I want you to take it out of the realm of what we call the big sins, you know, the bad ones, and put them into the realm of what I call the other bad ones, like gossip or distrust or unbelief or anger. There's a lesson for all of us here, regardless of what our temptations look like and how we feel them from day to day. I mean, think about it. We can be tempted to be lazy, tempted to keep up with the Joneses, a temptation to fear in the face of God's clear promises to care for us and to protect us. Those are as intense of temptations as the others. But there's good news. We can find victory in the wilderness of our temptation by being prepared and by trusting God's word in the face of that temptation. We need to know this. We got to get through this. Because if we don't understand how to face temptation and to understand temptation and what is actually going on in our hearts in these moments, we are destined to failure. Because we will try in some way, in our own strengths, to push back against that temptation. I talked to a lot of guys who struggle with addiction to pornography, sex addiction. And what they do is they put these things on their phone and their computer programs in order to prevent them from even accessing the sites. And they say, this is enough. I'll place another obstacle between me and my sin. Or every time I'm tempted to do something, I'm going to take a 10 or 15 second timeout and I'm going to pray. The longer we continue to live in a way that seeks to place something between our own impulses and the way we express those impulses without addressing the core issues, without addressing the desires that drive us, we're going to continue to try to kill the tree by picking its fruit. We're going to continue to try to manage our behavior instead of confessing our heart. We are going to continue to try to work for our salvation Instead of trusting God to give us the power which he has promised us in his word. So today we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. This is the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness by Satan. It's also found in the book of Mark. also found in the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, that's great. Open them up. I'm proud of you. If you don't, I love you too. Bring your Bible next week. And we'll also have them up here on the screen. Chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. First lesson we can learn from this is prepare yourself for seasons of temptation. Prepare yourself for seasons of temptation. How do I get to that? If you read in chapter 3, actually it's a little bit before that, Jesus had just been baptized He had just had this momentous spiritual experience with God the Father where God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son. Those who watched it happen heard it. And those, when he rose up out of the water, who were there saw the Spirit in the shape of a dove to fall upon him. It was a mountaintop experience, it was a spiritual high place. And directly after that moment, Jesus finds himself in the wilderness. The book of Mark says, uses the verb ekbalo, driven. He was pushed into the wilderness. Matthew uses a slightly different construction that says that the purpose of Jesus being there was to be tempted. The idea that Jesus came from a spiritual place of growth and life and highness into a place of death and darkness and barrenness. In the wilderness of temptation should teach us something that often there are times in our lives right on the heels of something wonderful that we find ourselves isolated we find ourselves in the middle of nowhere a spiritual desert as it were and we say how did we get here it's very possible that the reason is god wants you there (laughs) There are things we learn in our wildernesses of temptation. There are things we learn in those times that we are isolated spiritually and physically from others. I talk about it often, that I often have a target on my back, I think, is your shepherd, myself and the elders, seem to be under the attack at a greater level because Satan would like nothing more than to strike the shepherd and so the sheep scatter. It's common to be tempted in these moments after high points. Jesus goes into the wilderness. He waited there for 40 days, fasting. He was hungry. Jesus' temptation, just like ours, many of the time, much of the time, is necessary. It was necessary. Jesus is the second Adam. First Adam in the garden was given a choice. Listen to the word of God or listen to the word of the serpent. We know that Adam and Eve chose to sin against God and to go their own way, thinking that they knew better. But Jesus, as the second Adam come to redeem the offspring, the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, came to re- withstand the temptation that Adam and Eve, the test that Adam and Eve had with- failed in the garden. Satan is doing whatever he can in this scene as we watch, as we read, to get Jesus to sin. Because in doing so, it completely obliterates the plan of salvation. Had Jesus sinned here, salvation would never have been possible. Like Jesus, our temptation is necessary as well. You see, temptations in our lives, when they're withstood well, fuel, they fan the fire of our sanctification. They Teach us something and they grow us and they mature us. They grow our hearts. They teach us to rely on Jesus and not our own strength. They show us areas of our hearts that are still not fully given over to the Lord. I think this, this is probably the key to understanding our temptations. There are certainly times in our life, from day to day, even where thoughts come into our head, we're like, wow, that's crazy. I don't even know where that came from. And we just brush them off. We move on. But there are other times that temptations are much more delicious. I think it's the right word. They're enticing. They seem to taste good. And what we do as believers is we seek to white-knuckle it. We seek to say no and hold on for dear life instead of trusting in the Spirit of God to empower us and paying attention to why we are being tempted this way. From your day to day, when you're tempted to say or think or believe or do something, stop and ask yourself, why? In seasons where our temptation is growing, know that it's time to prepare for the worst. It's in these moments that we need to get ready, double down in our relationship with the Lord, where we're in his word more, we're praying more, we're cultivating our relationship with Jesus Christ more and more. For those of us who are believers, those of us who are children of God, saved by faith through grace, we are secure in our salvation. Anything Satan says, any sins that we commit, because of God's goodness and our abject inability to save ourselves, God has made us secure. He has secured us. But the devil would like nothing more than to steal our joy. (laughs) The devil would like nothing more than to ruin our testimony of God's goodness. Satan would like nothing more than to distract us for that which we were made, to love and to worship the God who created us. And he would love to shame us so that we don't even try. What's the point? You've already failed so many times. Give it up. You're not really a believer. Of course, it's not all Satan's fault. We can also go through the wilderness because of our own sinful choices, can't we? I've been there. I've been there. And I know some of you have been there too. I know some of you are in that place right now. You've sinned in the past, and instead of repenting and believing and obeying, you go a little bit further into that darkness. And before you know it, we can say, where am I? I don't even know where I am anymore. I don't know who I am anymore. It's the nature of our sin. Sin is deceitful and addictive. I talk about my addiction struggles. I talk about the people that I work with who have addiction. And we talk about that addicts just seem to have a really bad case of the human condition. But the truth is, is we all have the human condition. Sin is addictive for the non-drug addict as much as it is for anybody else. We sin once when we don't address it through God's word. We don't address it through God's spirit. And seek forgiveness, it grows us deeper. It takes a hold in our heart. And we walk deeper and deeper into the woods. Satan knows this area to tempt you, and so he will exploit it again and again. So be ready. Be prepared. Know that that day will come. And trust in the Lord so you may withstand. So what do we do, though? So we've talked about sort of temptation and where it's coming from, why we have it, seasons of temptation. But what do we do if we find ourselves in the wilderness? Well, let's take a look at what Jesus did. What Jesus did, ultimately, is he relied on the word of God when resisting temptation. Rely on the word of God. Verse 3, The devil said to him, If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Let's look at the devil's strategy here. He strikes at the character of God. He strikes at the character of God. He's not really tempting Jesus about his identity as a son of God. What he's saying is, is if God's really good, he would have given you something to eat. If God were really good, he wouldn't make you be out here for 40 days starving, being tempted by me. He'd be providing for you. God's withholding something good. We see the same strategy. The devil's smart, but he only has a few plays in his playbook. And if we look close enough, we're going to see that he's using the same one again and again. This is the same strategy that Satan used in the garden with Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Is God really good? Will he really provide for you? When we look at these three temptations, we'll see that that's really what Satan is saying that God is not good, and you cannot trust him. Satan seeks to speak to our mind, to create doubt, to facilitate circumstances in our lives that will tempt us to sin against him. Now think about what this must have looked like for Jesus. Jesus, though God in the flesh, he's still flesh. He's a man in the desert, in the wilderness. Satan is not flesh, he's a spirit. So Satan is this other type of being. Jesus is this human, fleshy person, okay? So when we talk about Satan and Jesus meeting in the desert, this is not Jesus God meeting Satan spirit. This is Jesus man hearing the voice but not seeing the shape. This seems to me a whole lot like our day-to-day life, doesn't it? That when we live, we don't have Satan in before us looking at us and we see him tempting us. We hear his voice. We hear him speaking to some place in our heart. So Jesus knows exactly what we go through when we withstand this. We hear doubts in our mind. You're not really a child of God. Or you're bound to fail or you might as well just do it again. Or I'll really focus on it next week. We can be tempted from without. There is no doubt. That's what we see here happening here. Satan is tempting Jesus from without. But certainly temptations, and ultimately temptations, come from here. Come from here. The famous phrase, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. The sooner we come to terms with the fact that we have sinful hearts and anything can spring out of this place, and it's for this reason that Jesus came to die, the sooner we can come to terms with the fact that we're never going to be able to white-knuckle our life through these temptations. We must rely on the power of God because there's nothing good within us to rely upon. It has to be on the Spirit within us. James 1.14 and 15 says, But each person is tempted. He says, don't let anyone say, God's tempting me. He says here, but each person is tempted when he is lured, enticed away by his own desire. So, when Satan places or circumstances are such that they can foment, they can feed a desire that's already there, it's then desire is conceived that it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Temptations that come from within us are issued from our old self. Did you know that you have two people living inside of you? It's true. We have the old person that existed before we were saved by Jesus Christ, before a new spirit and heart was implanted into our body, into ourselves. That person is called the old man, the flesh. But the moment we trust Christ, we are given a new person. It says in 2 Corinthians that we are made new. We are new creations in Christ. And that he gives us his spirit and our spirits are made alive in him. But temptations that come, come from a corpse, (laughs) come from a dead man that no longer owns us nor has right to what we do, say, or think. For we are made new. Therefore, it's an important piece, we should push back any time we're tempted to believe that we should identify ourselves with our temptations. I don't know. I mean, maybe you can relate. Maybe you think about some pretty bad things. Maybe you're enticed and desire out of your sinful heart to do some pretty sinful things and you think, oh my gosh, I'm that kind of person. Oh my gosh, I'm that thing. Oh my gosh, this is who I really am. That's who the dead man who lives in you is. You're now a child of God. And it's out of that heart and spirit that God is calling you to live. We've lived with the old man so long, we think that that person is calling the shots. And we have a choice. The ultimate truth of the matter is that when we rely on God's power in us, when we say no to the sinful person, the sinful man within us, and we trust God, we can withstand these temptations. Satan's goal is to make you believe that you're still that old person. Satan's goal is to make you believe because you're still tempted in the same way, that must be who you are. The word shaitan is the Hebrew word for Satan. It means accuser. Really a sort of a legal sense. Think of a prosecutor. You're standing before the judge. Jesus Christ is your defense attorney. He's saying, I got the... Shaitan, the prosecutor... Any of you have been down that road know the fear that that can bring? I certainly do. Seek to drudge up all the facts, everything, and use them against us. He wants us to despair of our sinfulness. See look how bad you are. Not look how bad the old man was. He wants us to shame for it. Be ashamed of it. What kind of person do you think you are? He makes us doubt the reality of our relationship with God. If you were really a child of God, you wouldn't still be struggling with these things. You wouldn't want these things anymore. He tempts us to turn our focus on ourselves. To look to them is the basis of our justification before God. To say, look at all the times you failed. There's no way God would save you. Instead of pointing to Christ. God wants us to look to him, his son, Died on our behalf. In the work of Jesus and what he has done because we never could. So we must live out of this heart, looking to Jesus. In tempting us, Satan will tempt us at the point of our weakness, physically, mentally, spiritually, but we always must look to the core of our temptations. So let's take a look a little deeper at Satan's strategy at these three specific areas. The first command this stone to become bread. The devil is tempting Jesus at his physical need. Temptation of the physical body could be quite strong. I mean, because it feels like we got to do it. It feels like like we have to breathe, like there's a hunger in us that has to be assuaged. You know what I'm talking about. Food, when we're not really hungry, we're seeking to just fill something. Sex. Drugs. Alcohol. Exercise. Think about it. Anything that we do in order to create a sensation, anything that we're tempted to do in order to feel better in our body, Satan will use as a way to distract us from God. But ultimately, it's the core of what is being addressed by Satan. God's not good. God's not good. He won't provide for you. Here in this temptation, and really all of them, Satan's not really tempting Jesus to use his power to make bread. What he's tempting Jesus to do is to supply for his own needs. You're hungry. Forty days God has had you out here. You're starving. And you have the power, if you're the son of God, to make bread? Where's the bread? God provided manna for the Israelites in the desert, but here he has left you stranded. Nothing. Nothing. You should supply for yourself. He's tempting him to rely on himself and not on God. If you look, Jesus is being tempted by Satan the same way Adam and Eve were. You should eat this fruit. It says Eve looked at the fruit and she said the fruit was good for food. There's a connection there somehow. Satan's temptation of Jesus with Satan's temptation of Adam and Eve. Let's see what Jesus does. Verse four, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus answered and directly quoted from Scripture. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He's actually referencing Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, which goes on to say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. That means every creative utterance, every word of life that comes from the mouth of God, it is that that is the source of life. God's commands, God's warnings, God's consolations, God's provision... Not our own. Not Satan's. Jesus confesses scripture that regards the deeper heart issue. You know, we spend a lot of time looking at sort of the external things and the way we sin instead of looking in. Look in. We might say, Lord, give me this promotion. Lord, give me this promotion. Versus, Lord, make me okay with whatever I have. Make me unafraid to not get this promotion. Because I know you're going to provide, her better, straight from Scripture. Psalm 56.3, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. When I'm afraid. Lord, make me stop looking at pornography. Versus, Lord, open my eyes to see that true intimacy comes through deep relationship with you. Maybe directly from Scripture. Psalm 16.11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. No, I will not do this because you've promised that with you, at your right hand, in relationship with you, there is pleasure and life and joy. Lord, forgive me for lashing out at John versus, Lord, forgive me for being jealous of John and how you've blessed him. Psalm 100, be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting. No, I will not be jealous because you're good. You are blessing me and I will be thankful. Let's take a look at the next temptation, verse five. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. We saw Satan tempting Jesus physically. Now Jesus is tempting him sort of psychologically. In his ego, he's tempting his soul. He's tempting that part of Jesus that makes Jesus, Jesus. He's saying, look at these two areas. He says, I'll give you glory. I'll give you authority, the power to command. Satan makes an interesting statement here in verse six. He says, to you I'll give all this authority and their glory for it's been delivered to me. It's true. God in his sovereignty and wisdom has handed over tremendous power to Satan for now. For now. 1, 1 John 5.19 says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Paul calls Satan the prince of the power of the air and the God of this world. Jesus himself calls Satan the ruler of this world in John 14. Satan wields tremendous power in this world, but it's all permissive, and it's all by the allowance of our sovereign God. Any place Satan moves, anything that Satan does is by the permission of the God who created him. He's a being. Either way, (laughs) we live in hostile territory, so don't be surprised when you're tempted. Don't be surprised. We're not locked in this epic battle between good and evil like we're biting our nails and not sure how it's going to all work out in the end. God has already won. Satan is a defeated foe who will not stop fighting until he's finally cast into the lake of fire. But until then, prepare for battle. Prepare for battle. It reminds me of the story of Hiro Onodo. He's an imperial Japanese army officer who survived on a small Philippine island for 29 years after the Second World War ended. During the Second World War in the Japanese island hopping campaign, this man was set on an island in the Philippines, small island. He said, was told, ordered, defend it. So he did. Meanwhile, poor guy's forgotten out there on the island. The war's over. He's watching jetliners fly over. It wasn't until the 70s that they finally had brought one of his commanding officers from Japan to speak to him with a bullhorn and say, hey, the war's over, it's me, your old commander. It's over. There's an analogy here between Satan and us. The war is over, but he continues to fight. It's like he has not gotten the memo, and you know what prevents him from getting it? Pride. Pride. Satan desires to distract you and pull you away from your purpose, which is to love, trust, trust and glorify God, and he will find any way that he can to do it. Even tempt somebody with something they already have. Look at the temptation. I will give you authority and glory of all the kingdoms of the world if you worship me. How ridiculous of an offering is that to Jesus, to Jesus, Satan was tempting Jesus with something he had in the past and was promised to have again in the future. You've been promised a lot. God has given us a lot, yet Satan tempts us to believe that we still need to get it for ourselves because God is not good. Every temptation, every sin, when we look at it and we really evaluate it, that's what we're saying. That's what we're believing. God is not good. Jesus was promised by the Father to be returned to glory and authority where he sits right now in session with the Father at his right hand, interceding for us and praying for us. What Satan is doing is tempting Jesus regarding the means again. Oftentimes the thing that Satan is tempting us with is not an inappropriate thing. It's how we get it that is perverted and problematic. God says that he created sex and love. God created sex between two human beings, husband and wife. But we pervert it here because the joy that we are promised out of it, we think we can get for ourselves. But sin always, always leads to death. When we, what he's doing is he's saying, don't wait for God to act, do it now. In fact, I'll help you. I'll give it to you. Why wait? Why wait? Just bow. The truth is that we have been promised more than we can ever imagine. We have so much. The whole Bible is full of promises for our good and our, and our glory and our love and our, whether in this life or next. But every time we short-circuit God's will for our life to get something our way or according to our timeline, we bow either to Satan or to ourselves? Think about that. When we have a promise of God, and we know it's for us, and we decide to do it our own way, we end up worshiping ourselves, or worshiping Satan. That's a strong statement. We need to understand, we cannot pull punches when it comes to what we're actually dealing with. The question, you know, one time, <laughs> I should have asked him before he said this, one time say, Calvin did something, I said, why'd you do that? He said, because I'm an idiot. End of discussion. God wants us to get to that place. Why did you do that? Because I'm a sinner. Because I'm selfish. Because I wanted what I wanted. I thought I could do it better. Go to the core. Do it God's way. We look at riches, power, health, happiness, family, beauty, satisfaction, comfort. The list is endless. Anything that God has promised in his word that we seek to get on our own, We need to understand the gravity of when we do that. That we're robbing God of God's prerogative of being God and saying, you're not good, I'll do it myself. If you look at this temptation, it it aligns with the apple in the garden and it was pleasing to the eye. Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world, good for food, physical need, pleasing to the eye, psychological need. Now let's take a look at the final temptation here in Luke 4. Verse 9, and he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bury you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan is using a new tack here. He tried the physical approach, he tried the soul, ego, psychological approach. Now he's tempting Jesus at the point of his intellect. Satan is seeking to beat Jesus at his own strategy. If Jesus used scripture, then so would Satan. Satan's not above this. Satan is not above this. We've seen this throughout history, the sinful use of God's word to obtain false glory, sinful riches, inordinate power. There are beliefs and practices even in the larger church and some faith traditions that, that we rely upon that are not founded in the word of God. For instance, an amalgamation of God's word and man's best ideas. We see this all the time. Anytime you see something, half of the, half, 90% of the Christian books you see in the mainstream bookstores fall into this category. An amalgamation of God's word and man's best wisdom. Doesn't seem to be working too well, does it? Another one of these is the reduction of God's word to the work of humanity at best. Saying God's word is just the expression of a human experience. At best, at worst, it's the work of power-hungry, misogynist, bigoted, and patriarchal abusive men. So again, irrelevant, irrelevant. Or we look at spiritual hierarchies and we say, in order to get to God, we need to go through this layer and this layer and this layer, whether physical or spiritual, in order to ultimately come before God when Jesus has eliminated everything between us and the Father. The prosperity gospel, you'll get whatever you want. Just send me a check and God will bless your seed money. If sending a check made the sender rich, how come those guys don't send me checks? Send me a check and God will bless you. Show me. Isn't it interesting how Satan tempts Jesus here with what feels a whole lot like the prosperity gospel? You can have everything now. You can have all the authority and power and glory. You can feed your belly, whatever that looks like. We believe that God's word, though, is perfect and true Upon which we can build our trust because they reflect the perfect, true, and loving character of the God who authored them. Satan is Satan, Satan is basically saying to Jesus, Well, if you're gonna use Scripture, so am I, so reason with me here. I don't know if Satan thinks that Jesus is gonna die if he jumps. I don't know if Satan thinks that Jesus doesn't really matter. He will simply be disobeying God. Because Satan will omit or tempt the truth to tempt, or twist the truth to tempt you to sin, to make it attractive. And you'll do this to yourself as well. Think about this area of temptation. I'm hoping God's speaking to you right now. Think of your area of temptation and compare it to what God's word says. I know that most of you would know. Most of you would recognize that, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that. God really wants me to do this. If you're a child of God, you know the truth. It's there. The spirit's within you. He's revealing to you the way you should go. What lies, though, do you tell yourself in the face of that in order to justify your behavior? My favorite, for me personally, It's not that big of a deal. Not that big of a deal. And for those of us who are not committing, you know, like the big sins, gossip, not that big of a deal. When Gossip destroys families and churches and neighborhoods and communities. Not that big of a deal. Are you purposefully omitting a truth that you know from God's word in order to continue to get what you want to justify another sinful behavior? then God calls you to repent. He calls you to say, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong. I'm going to trust you for your promise. I'm seeking to get this on my own. I am going to trust you for it. And then to step out in faith and obedience based in that trust. The realization of this is really the first step of getting out of the wilderness. To Repent. (laughs) of what we're, why we're there, to withstand the temptation through the power of God, to realize that we're tempted in this area because there is a love for the sin. There's a desire for something there and to recognize that. And here Jesus undoes the failure of the garden. I think this is something related to the idea of the apple is to make one wise, right? This is like this intellectual reason with me, Satan says. When the devil had, verse 13, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, until an opportune time. The three temptations of Jesus here are really just a sampling. It says he was out here being tempted for 40 days. But these three are emblematic of sort of everything he withstood. Jesus undoubtedly endured a life of temptation because Satan won't quit. Satan will not stop. He will constantly seek to draw you away from God's perfect will from your life. Jesus knows the power of temptation in our lives and stands ready to help us, though. Hebrews 4, 15, if we, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, just as we are, yet without sin. That means when I'm tempted and I say, Jesus, help me, he knows exactly what, I've, what I'm going through. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the, help of, in the time of our need. It's like, Lord, I'm being bombarded with temptation. I'm running to you. I'm telling you. Jesus says, I know. I've been there. How can I help? Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. He shows us. So Jesus has passed the test in the wilderness. Third point will be real brief here. Trust God for his promises when you're tempted. It's one thing in the face of temptation to focus on God's word as it's some sort of ma- like incantation. Like if I just say a verse, it'll withstand. No, it's beyond that. We also have to trust what God is promising us to replace it in the future. Jesus promises to help you in your time of wilderness and to come to you in your hour of need. He's promised that he will not abandon you when you're tempted. He always provides a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man common. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he'll provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You see, our willingness to avail ourselves of that means that God provides for us as a way of escape depends on our faith and its likelihood that it's going to work. Otherwise, we won't do it. The reason we're tempted in sin again and again, even in the face of God explaining how to withstand it, is because we don't really want to withstand it. We either don't trust that it's going to work, or we still want what we want. All right. Four, verse 14, let's look at the end. Let's see what happens right at the end. And Jesus returned to the power of the Spirit of Galilee. So he entered the wilderness with spirit, He exited the wilderness with the spirit, and a report about him went through all of the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. The very thing Satan offered him, if he, if he bowed down to worship, is what Jesus ended up getting at the end. Glory. Glory. So where are you? Where are you? It's been my prayer that God has been speaking to you while I've been speaking, hopefully cleaning things up that I probably didn't say right, and applying it to your heart in a way that's pure and true. So where are you? For those of you who are not in a season of temptation right now, get ready. Prepare yourself for seasons of temptation. For those of you who might be in the thick of it, even right now, remember that we need to rely on the word of God when resisting our temptation. But regardless of where you are in your walk these days, trust in his promises. Trust in his promises. I can tell you victory over temptation is possible. I can tell you, because Jesus has already won it. He's already won it. Victory over sin in our lives is possible. You may feel like I'm never gonna get through this. You will, you will. We need to prepare. We need to rely on God's word and we need to trust in his promises. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we come before you, Lord, uh, with grateful hearts for what you have done on our behalf through your son, Jesus Christ. We know in ourselves, we will not white-knuckle anything for any period of time. Father, we know that we try in our own strength to to create obstacles between us and our temptation or us and our sin. Lord, forgive us of that. Forgive us of not trusting you and your power, of utilizing your word and everything that proceeds from your mouth when defending against Satan and his lies. We pray, Lord, that this day would be the day that we laid down any human attempt to push back against Satan and to trust you in your provision, your word, and your promises. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus that the battle is won and that we just simply walk in the skirmishes of life. It's in his name we pray. Amen